all of you. If uh, you weren't here when I had a chance to say it the first time, it's a blessing to uh, be with you. And uh, we are uh, ending or putting a tiny little bow on this four-week series that we've been in called Broken. Um, kind of a quick uh, series uh, goal or summary is that this is a series in which we've been taking a look at some of what we believe are the most important and difficult issues in our country that are causing brokenness. And in week one, we pretty much just started by sort of setting the stage for the rest of the series. And um, I, I gave you a sobering sort of thing to think about, and that is that the brokenness in our country really starts right here in each one of us, and in each one of our hearts, and that there is this daily battle going on. Remember the, the boxing gloves? <laughs> There's these, this battle going on between our, 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 our Christian part, our Christ part, and our sinful nature, and that this battle every single day is difficult, and sometimes it leads even Christians to do that which they don't want to do and not to do that which they know that they should. And that causes problems in our families, in our lives, and in our country. And then over the next three weeks, what we've been doing is unpacking a specific topic each week. So two weeks ago, we talked about relationships. Doesn't it seem like people just can't get along anymore? If you have a different opinion, you just can't get along. And one of the things that I was sharing from you from God's Word is that we so quickly put people into boxes, and that's the problem because... When people are in boxes, you can't see them. And so compassion moved Christ to come to us, and compassion should move us to listen and get to know others before we judge. Last week, uh, Pastor Matt talked with us uh, about how ultimately there is more to it, but that sex and sexuality and the misuse of that can be very damaging. And when you think about all how sex is everywhere, talking about the internet, talking about uh, you know pornography, all those things, how easy it is for people to try to find fulfillment in things that just really don't fulfill. It's a problem. This week, I'm gonna. I guess I have the privilege of being able to tackle something that is definitely going to strike maybe an uncomfortable chord with many of us, and, and that's, that's okay. It's, it's done the same for me over the last two weeks. Um, I'm going to tackle probably what is the greatest motivator for Americans in general than anything else. We're, we're going to tackle our perspective on money and the pursuit of stuff, okay? Now, if I could encapsulize or if I could summarize a mantra of Americans, I have attempted to summarize it with this, our first fill-in, that more stuff equals more happy. And here's the thing. If I were asked for a show of hands of how many of you agree with this or think that it's even true for you, there would be like zero hands up because none of us think really or want to admit that we believe this. And yet, a show of hands is probably not the best way to identify this as being true. A better way to identify this being true is just ask someone to observe you for a week, a year, or 10 years 
Or if there is a way that we could observe our entire country and read hearts and motives, there is little doubt that this, if not the greatest, I think it would be, but would be one of the greatest motivators for Americans, that more stuff equals more happy, so I need to get more stuff. And I've been trying to think about why do we struggle with this so much as Americans? And I guess the simple answer, especially an easy answer if you're a Christian, is, okay, it's that sinful nature. I mean, that's ultimately the answer. But, but logically speaking, we're just sort of analyzing people, Americans, why is this such an issue? And I think where it comes from, in part, is what honestly makes America so great. So most countries in our world, and if you think back, more than two centuries or three centuries ago, pretty much every country in the world, you're, you're born into the country and you are born into a certain eco- economic, socio-class. I didn't even say that right, but you know what I mean, okay? <laughs> and it is almost impossible for you to get out of that class. You are just there and it doesn't matter how talented or how hard you work, it's just where you're at. And then, and then you know, 300 years ago or so, this, this country called the United States came along. And I'm not saying we're the first one like this, but we're certainly one of the first. And, and there's this thing called freedom and that we were able to be born a certain way or in a certain class and we, if we were worked hard enough or talented enough or smart enough, that where you were born does not mean where you need to end up from a earthly perspective. And you know what? That's awesome. That's so cool. What a blessing. But something happens where our, I guess, um, opportunity for more has turned into an over-the-top obsession for more in many ways and in many cases. We think that by more, this is going to happen, that we're going to be happier. And again, whether we admit it or not, it certainly is driving us a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong, um, I don't live in a monastery, and so I see stuff too, and I, I get the challenges. And, and I understand, you know, I'll be honest, a new car brings some happy, right? It's kind of fun. And um, a new pair of shoes, you know, not so much for me, but for most of you women and Jason, um, <laughs> a new pair of shoes. We're in the same group, so I know things about Jason. Um, bring happy, okay? New pair of shoes can do that. A Caribbean vacation can bring happy, okay? It's true. But how long, let me ask, how long does that last? And does it ultimately ever bring the happiness that you had been looking for, whatever it is, to bring? Um, I, I know the answer to that. Intuitively, you know this isn't true either. And I was trying to, again, think of a way that you would be able to, to, to just start, aha, I get it. Um, and this is, what I, this is what I came up with. You, you, know, you know families that have more than you, okay, materially speaking, that are not happy at all. And there's lots of problems and lots of challenges. Not all the money in the world would you want to be a part of that family. And then you know families that have less than you 
It's like, man, I know I'm kind of connected to my family, but if I had a choice, I might go join them and play board games with them and laugh all the time, okay? It looks so fun to be a part of that family. And they have less than you. You know why? Because this is not true. More stuff does not equal more happy. Happy is connected to something else. And we as Americans, we don't, we don't help the problem either. In fact, there are certain things we do that make this worse and more stressful. God blesses us, or we work hard for what we have, and then all the time, it seems, our style of living is no any further away from how much we have, and there's always stress no matter how much we have. And we can have more, we just spend more, and so there's always that, we make it hard on ourselves. And, and then we want things before we can actually afford them, and there's this thing called debt <laughs> that's a challenge and becomes stressful. And In fact, uh, we Americans, we actually pick fun at ourselves about all this stuff, and there's an SNL skit like 10 years ago that um, I thought at this point in the sermon you'd need a little laugh, so why don't you watch this? Ugh, I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. <laughs> should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in chapter three. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. <laughs> now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. Quick comments on the video. First of all, there is a small percentage of um, our, our, our congregation and or community that really have no, no money, and this is not a video for them. The vast majority of us, though, we have enough to pay for what we need, right? And yet, our pursuit of happy, or what we think might bring happiness, allows us or moves us to buy things we really shouldn't or can't afford. And as far as debt goes, there's, there's okay debt. Like, you can't really buy a house anymore without having some debt or a loan or 
I can't build a church without a loan either, you know. And so there's okay debt. The, the idea behind this is we need to live within our means and that we need to see what God has given and be good stewards of what God has given. Do you know that our country is probably the most prosperous, materialism-wise country in the history of the world? You could argue that. It's at least one of them. You know that when you need water, you don't need to go walk down to Lake Marion with a big jar on your head and come back. You just, I know it's tough, but you just turn this little spigot in your uh, handle in your bathroom or your kitchen and clean drinking water comes out. Or if you need some heat, you don't have to go chop down wood. You press a button. And then if you're still cold, because it's cold, you press the button two more times and the heat goes higher. <laughs> if you want to talk to someone across the world or across the country, you don't need to travel on horseback to go talk with them. You take out this thing in your pocket. You press some buttons, and you can talk to just about anybody that you want. Food? <laughs> we just go to the area grocery store, and there's food from all across the world that has been collected for you. And yes, we have to buy it, but it's right there. It's amazing. People a hundred years ago even would just be blown away by how much we have. See, the brokenness is not in our country about what we have or what we don't have. The brokenness we need to address is our hearts and our pursuit. And what's really most important and so we're going to dive into to sort of unpack this dilemma that I hope I've shared with you in a, a way that you can understand. Um, we're going to turn to a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is his longest recorded sermon in the Bible. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because he preached it from the side of a hill so that the thousands who were gathering underneath could hear him preach and his, his, the sound would project of his voice. And in the middle of that sermon, he gives us a little bit of financial planning. He talks about earthly treasures and heavenly treasures and an underlying issue with both. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. Jesus gives this encouragement. He said, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin, or in uh, translation maybe you know moths and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Let me unpack this for a moment. Let me first tell you what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that you shouldn't save. <laughs> He's not saying that you shouldn't have a savings account. He's not saying that you shouldn't plan for the future. And the reason I know that is that there's other sections of Scripture that God tells us to do that very thing. In the context of this section, if I could summarize, maybe with a quick story, when I was uh, probably about fifth grade or so, our family would go and, and we would um, vacation with my grandparents down in the Fort Myers area. And we'd stay at this kind of resort that they would rent, kind of a hotel slash condo slash resort. But long story short, there would be pens all over the place, you know, with the hotel label on them. Well, mind you, this wasn't last year. This was like when I was in fifth grade. Uh, we thought it'd be fun to have a contest to see how many pens that we could collect in four days. 
And it was amazing that within 10 minutes, we'd take a pen and someone would put a pen right back there from the hotel staff. And so by the end of the week, I had a big old large Ziploc bag full of pens, and so did my brother and my sister. Now, that's called stealing, and I've talked to the Lord about that. But in context of this verse, what I was doing, I was collecting as much as I could in a very selfish way just because I wanted to. And it wasn't planning. It was hoarding, maybe, would be a better word, okay? What Jesus is speaking against here is an attitude of life that all that I have is about me and getting as much as I can and, and maybe we would even use the word hoarding the things that I have and only thinking of me, not thinking about others. Again, outside of our families, it's too easy just to think about our kids. I'm thinking out, not thinking about people outside our families, how to give back or generosity or things like that. It's all about me. And then he says, here's a reason why that's not smart. Because they can be destroyed, the things you collect. And they steal. They get stolen. His point is, these things you gather for yourselves, they don't last. I mean, I don't know where that Ziploc bag went. I think my parents probably took it after I got in trouble when they found it, I'm sure. All those pens, I don't know where they are. Um, this, this made me think of a, another thing that happened to me within the last year. Um, in May, uh, my car died. And I knew that it died because it was towed away and it doesn't work anymore. And I had to go to the, the salvage yard or whatever to, to get out the things that I wasn't able to grab when they took it away. And I'll be honest with you, as I was walking away from it, I looked back, and I was kind of emotional. It was weird. And, and I thought back to, the, to actually the first day we got that car, and I remember going to fill it up. I was at seminary um, at the gas station, and I kind of had, it was only a year old, kind of had a little puff to my chest as I got this pretty new car for me. And, and, you know, me and my Taurus, I was so excited about my car. And I looked at that car and I thought about all the fun we had together as I was the primary driver of it, the trips we went on, the Culver snack packs I ate in there, going to a shut-in visit, you know, all the, and, and then, and this is honestly true, I I saw the big old rust spot on the side. And I knew that it was rusting out. And, and, and I thought about how the antifreeze always leaked and we couldn't figure it out. And there's a big dent in the front. Isn't that the way it goes with the things that we treasure? The things of this earth, they either get old or they quit working, or they go out of style, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Why are you spending all your time worried about all the things of this earth, spending your life focused on gathering, and at the end of the day, <laughs> they're all going to go away. Verse 20. But instead, what if our mindset was this? That our mindset was to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So we're supposed to collect earthly stuff so that we can have it buried with us and take it to heaven? I mean, what's Jesus saying? You know, I think, you know, that's not true. So what does this say? If I could simplify this verse, 
In comparison to verse 19, it would be a mindset that acknowledges <laughs> that life is short, and so my heart, my mind, my purpose should be ultimately with eyes on heaven, with eyes ultimately on the next life. And that doesn't mean we're so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. That's, that's not this sermon. That's not Jesus' point. His point is, well, maybe it's our next fill-in. Your view affects what you pursue. So if we're always thinking about how to grow our earthly life or our earthly income or earthly place, if that's where our mind is at, your actions are going to follow. But if we do those things and yet recognize the temporary nature of life and ultimately the vastness of eternity, then our actions will change a little bit too. Your view will affect what you pursue. Jesus expands on this just a little bit when he says in the next verse, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So the things you treasure the most, that is ultimately where your heart is. And we can say it's not, but it's just a truth that Jesus pointed out. The things that we treasure the most, that is what has our hearts the most. This is a tough thing to wrestle with, isn't it? And one of those things that we're never going to get right all the time. I, I came up with some interesting questions, and I, I say that because um, I thought they were interesting. <laughs> you, can, you can decide if they're interesting or not. But hopefully they're thought-provoking to help you just kind of think about things through, through this lens. So there's three or four of them. Do you spend more time thinking about how to grow your faith and the faith of your family or to grow your finances and the financial situation of your family. You should do both. Which one's got your heart? Do you spend more time working on a plan to upgrade something you need or on a plan to make a difference for someone in need? What do we think about more? Both are okay. Which one has our heart? Do you find more joy in giving towards gospel ministry or towards a tropical vacation? Where is more of your joy? And what does that say about your heart and mine? <laughs> I want to take off guilt where it's not needed. It's okay to go to the mall. It's okay to surf Amazon, kind of. It's okay to buy a new pair of shoes. It's okay to go on vacation during spring break. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. I'm just wondering, as Jesus convicts my heart, though, where is our heart? And where do we find the most purpose, the most joy, and the most satisfaction? And what does that say? If, if we have all those things, but when it comes to giving back, or giving to God, it's like he needs a crowbar to open up our hands, there's probably something wrong with that. Or if we can never find contentment or happy, there's probably 
something wrong with that. No, not probably. There, there is. Now, okay, it's impossible to have this discussion without talking about Jesus. And in fact, if some of you here today don't quite fully understand yet what Jesus has done for you, honestly, most of what we've already talked about doesn't sit right with you. And, and that's okay, because I'm going to tell you what Jesus has done for you. You know, Jesus could have taken care of all of our earthly needs and made all of us rich, well, let's put it this way, richer than we already are. And it would have been easy. He could have just snapped his finger. In fact, we have evidence of that in Scripture. So he's been with a group of a few thousand people for a long time. They're all hungry. He says, hey, go get a little bit of bread and fish, bring it to me, and 5,000 plus are fed. Here's a little bit of a lesser-known account. It's in Matthew 17. If you don't believe me that it's in the Bible, you can look it up yourself. Jesus and the disciples are going to the temple, and they're being charged a temple tax to enter. Jesus tells the disciples to go get a fish from the Sea of Galilee. So they go fishing, get a fish. In the fish's mouth is enough money for the temple tax because they had none before. Snap. Jesus, God, taking care of our earthly richness or riches, that would have been easy. And if all he cared about was his ease, he probably would have picked that because instead what he chose to do was to take care of our eternities, and that was not easy. It was the harder route. He could not sit in heaven, snap his fingers, and have us receive riches for eternity. But he didn't care about himself. He didn't care what he wanted or needed most. That may be like, well, an easy existence. Instead, he knew what you needed most and what I did. And so he came to this earth. And he, as we talked before, shed all his blood for us. He died so that we might live. He died so that we might have riches that, my friends, man, last so much longer. In fact, I, I love uh, how Peter writes about the riches that Christ won, and it's such a, an opposite to what we read about as far as earthly treasures go, and moths and vermin, just like saying vermin. I like that word. Um, <laughs> God has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that's what Jesus did. He died, he rose from you, you have a new life. And with that new life is an inheritance. You know what that is? That's stuff, meaning heavenly stuff. It means blessings. It means things he gives you. And this is an inheritance that can what? Never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. Jesus could have done what is easy. He gave us what we need the most. Oh, yeah, and then a whole lot more. And a whole lot more. And I know we're going to keep struggling with this, and I know that, you know, I give a, a message or we listen to God's word, and, and I recognize that we don't just go home and then all of the, the discontentment goes away or the pursuit never comes back. The, the wrong, I mean, this is going to be a struggle till the day that we die, but I think it would get easier if God just took all of our stuff away 
and we had a big economic crash, which I'm not praying for at all, okay? But it would be easier, I think, to be content than where we are right now <laughs> sometimes. I know it's going to be hard, but even in those times where we just continue to go back to that mindset, this inheritance and what Jesus did on the cross continues to forgive you and forgive you and forgive you, never fails. Our fill-in-the-blank it's supposed to be a corollary to the first one, which was uh, about being happy through stuff. Jesus is the key to more happy. <laughs> I recognize this limps a little bit. So much more than that. Peace, joy. Even getting through the struggles of this life that we might feel or the discontentment that we feel, Jesus ultimately is the key to more happy. And then Jesus finishes the section with this verse. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So you can have both of them in your life. You just better choose the right, or we should choose the right one to serve. It's kind of like, guys, when you get married, okay? You have your wife and your mommy, okay? You should have both of them in your life. But you should only serve one of them if you know what's good for you. <laughs> okay? You'll love them both. You'll like them both. But you serve one. We can have money in our life. Who's got your heart? We can have stuff and more than what we need. But where's our devotion? It says it can't be in two places. So who are we going to follow? Who ultimately are we going to serve? This is hard. This is a daily struggle. And so to, to end this message, I just wanted to get really practical with you. We, we, we talked about how Jesus is the key to this. That doesn't change. But in practicalities, what can I do to help with this, okay, beyond prayer, I came across a section that, uh, not for the first time by any means, but where, where Paul was writing to a pastor named Timothy. And Timothy was, was going to be preaching to his uh, congregation of Christians, and they had a difficulty with, disagree uh, I'm sorry, with discontentment. And Paul gave Timothy some words to share with a culture that dealt with discontentment. It's from 1 Timothy 6. He said, Command them, this is after the whole forgiveness thing that Jesus, you know, has, is your Savior. Now, what do we do? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I believe that the way that we loosen our grip on our stuff and, and begin to work on changing our view starts with Jesus but then also, along with the fight, our last fill-in is this, that we can fight greed by focusing on being generous. And I've got two really quick questions for you to think about as you think about being generous. The first one is this, who in your life are you helping right now? I'm not talking about your kids. You have to help your kids, okay? That's not the point. I'm not talking about, you know, how you help your boss out. You're doing that so he notices you and gives you a raise, Okay? I'm talking about the people in your neighborhood or at your church that may never 
give you anything in return, but you just are looking in your community, and you're seeing people are in need, and who are we helping? Who are we raking leaves for? Who are we spending a day painting their home for or, or their room for or whatever else it might be? In fact, at Bethlehem in the next month, we're going to roll out two new initiatives connected to our impact campaign that might be your opportunity to do just this and answer this question, who are you helping? The next one is, what are you giving? Yeah, I'm talking about finances. I'm talking about stuff. Did you know that on average, the average American gives less than 2% away? And I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about charities, church, everything. 2% away, less than that. And here's the other thing. Statistically, as a person's income grows in America, the percentage gets smaller. You know how to work on being generous with what you have? It's not just to, you know, uh, have no plan. Biblically, families, we need to think about percentage giving. And that will help us to know whether we're truly being generous or not. And yeah, there's the whole heart thing. Are we doing it out of response to what Christ has done? That's really important. It's part of the deal. But it's good to talk about a percentage. And do we feel like what we're giving whether it be to our church or other charities that we, we really like. Is that a sign of generosity? What are, who are you helping? What are you giving? Let's wrap up the series. A lot of, I hope, the last three weeks, some helpful things to think about when it comes to the brokenness in our country and the brokenness in our own hearts and lives. But, but I, I need to end with this that the ultimate answer to the brokenness in our hearts is Jesus. And the ultimate answer to the brokenness in our country is for more people to understand Jesus and what he's done for them. So the best thing that we can do, along with the other things we just talked about in other weeks, is to be on fire for in our words and our actions as individuals and as a church of letting people know the amazing things that Christ has done for them. That's the only true way to heal broken, and that is the purpose that God has given us as people who've been healed. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now, and I, I pray for our country. There are so many blessings here. We don't deserve them. There are also challenges, and in some ways they seem like they're increasing. Lord, help us as people who have been healed by you to in our time, actions, and lives to make a difference as we are lights and as we share the truth of your love with the world. We pray for this church and that purpose. We pray for our country. In Jesus' name, amen. Well,